Let's pray. Father, um, on this day when we remember your Holy Spirit, uh, we are asking for the renewal of your Holy Spirit. Um, That's a prayer we pray at all times, but particularly today. And we know that you renew us with your Holy Spirit as we consider Christ, and as we look at your word, so will you please do that? Um, Please uh, clarify for us the questions we should be asking if we're exploring. Uh, Clarify for us uh, some of the answers to the questions we have been asking. And above all, grant us to see Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Please be seated. Um, Over the last few days, uh, we have been praying. We've had a series of prayer meetings uh, on um, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night. Um, A lot of you were able to join in on that, and they were good times. Um, And we've been, uh, in these prayer meetings, we've been kind of leading up to today, to to Pentecost. And And this kind of season of prayer, these days of prayer, caused me to ask a question. And the question that I was asking myself is that if there is one thing that we could pray for, if there's one thing that we could ask God for as a church, one request for our congregation, what would it be? And there's lots of things that we could ask. Uh, But heading into Pentecost, it seemed very clear to me that the one prayer that we would ask, the one thing that we would ask for is that God would give us His Holy Spirit. Because there's a very real way in which in asking that prayer, uh, Father, give us your Holy Spirit, there is nothing more important than the Holy Spirit, and in answering that prayer, God gives us pretty much every other thing of value that you can ask for. Now, that may sound like a little bit of a strange thing to say, but I say that partially because Jesus implies it. Um, In the Gospel of John, chapter 16, Jesus actually tells his disciples, this is the night before he is, or the night that he's arrested, he looks at his disciples and he says, you know, um, the Holy Spirit is so important. He goes, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is so important that to have the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, is more important than having him, Jesus, physically present there with his disciples. Which is to say, um, if you could ask Jesus, um, hey, Jesus, which would be better, hanging out with you physically in the room with you or receiving the Holy Spirit, on the night that Jesus is betrayed, he says, go for the Holy Spirit. It's preferable. Now, that strikes me as just a little bit odd, but I'll take him at his word. And if that's true, then one of the things that it means is that you cannot really deeply understand Christianity without rigorously understanding the Holy Spirit. Um, And the difficulty with that is that for a lot of us, the Holy Spirit is one of the most obscure bits of the whole of Christianity. For a lot of us, and this is true whether you follow Jesus for a long time or whether you're just investigating Jesus, for a lot of us, um, you, it's kind of easier to grasp certain thing, aspects of Jesus' teaching, but when we get to the Holy Spirit, it's like everything gets a little wooly and weird, and what are you talking about kind of a thing. But we need to get clear on it because according to Jesus, it's just fundamental. It's just absolutely essential. And that's what we need to work on today. Now, here's why we're going to do that. We want to try to understand why is the Holy Spirit so remarkably important to Jesus? And to do that, we're going to look at that really long reading. Um, 
Aaron, thank you very much. Well done, and well done all of us uh, focusing and paying attention. We're going to look at that really long reading because that's the first time that the Holy Spirit uh, comes in power on the disciples, and it is regularly marked as the beginning of the Christian church. We're going to look at that reading, and I want to point out three things. First of all, the Holy Spirit illuminates Jesus. I'll explain what that means. Secondly, the Holy Spirit unites us to Jesus. And thirdly, the Holy Spirit sends us out in mission. Let me explain. First of all, the Holy Spirit illuminates the disciples. Take a look at that reading, and I want you to focus in on Peter. Um, Peter is, most of that reading, you might have missed this, but most of that reading is a speech by Peter. A little bit of background on on the disciple uh, Peter Peter was one of Jesus' closest followers. So very often uh, when Jesus would hive off a smaller group to, um, to go through some a little bit more intense teaching and so forth, Peter would be one of those. He, he was one of the key um, uh, inner circle. He was always one of the leaders. However, Peter was also a notorious failure, Right? Do you remember? Um, do you remember just seven weeks before this incident, seven weeks before this story, Jesus is arrested. Now, the night when Jesus is arrested, before that, Peter is full of kind of, I don't know, boasting. And he says, Jesus, even if the whole army comes after you, I'll die for you. I'll never leave you. And Jesus says, really? And a few minutes later, a few hours later, it happens. And Peter goes to pieces. Okay, he he denies Jesus. After Jesus is arrested, Peter denies Jesus three times in the course of one evening. And one of those incidences, at least, one of the times he denies Jesus, he's actually an eye shot of Jesus. Their eyes lock, Jesus and Peter's. Now, it was a crucial betrayal of Jesus. You ever been betrayed by a friend? Betrayal is an exquisite kind of pain. And Peter betrayed Jesus right at Jesus' darkest moment. Now, keep that in mind, because when we come to our big reading, in spite of that, here Peter is seven weeks later, and he is standing up publicly announcing Jesus, publicly representing Jesus in front of the crowd, a portion of which had been involved in killing Jesus seven weeks before. So Peter has a history with this crowd. And my question is, what happened to Peter? What changed? Well, take a look at the reading. So start at the very beginning. Um, The scene is all the disciples are praying. And they hear something like a hurricane or a tornado. And then, very oddly, they see something. I don't know what it looked like, but somehow it looked kind of like fire. Now, just real quick, fire and wind are uh, symbols of God's presence from the Hebrew Scriptures, from the Old Testament. Do you remember when um, uh, Moses interacts with the burning bush? Do you remember that bit? So the bush is on fire, but it doesn't get burned up. Same thing. The, there's a, a vision of fire here. The people are not hurt by that fire, and it's a sign to them that they're meeting the same God that they've been reading about all those years in the Old Testament. But then look what happens. They start speaking. They start speaking in different languages, which we'll talk about that 
in a few minutes. But look at what they're saying. Verse 11. Verse 11 says that they are extolling the mighty works of God. And that's key. Okay. Whenever the Holy Spirit shows up in Scripture and all through the church history, the Holy Spirit takes what it is that we know cognitively about God and about Jesus, and then the Holy Spirit causes us to see how wonderful and compelling and beautiful God is so that we want to honor him. A silly example. I have been told, in fact, I was told this on Monday by some of you, that bourbon is very good. Now, I have no reason to doubt that's true. However, I can't really be a connoisseur of that. I can't fully enter into that. That's just cognitive information until, and this isn't a hint, until I try it, okay? I mean, if you want to, anyways, I'll leave that with you. That's my silly example. Now, it's one thing, here's the point, it's one thing to know something about God cognitively. It's another thing, however, when the Holy Spirit takes those truths that we know and then makes them vivid to us and real and compelling and beautiful. Before I moved to New York, I had heard that the Metropolitan Museum of Art was a, you know, a good museum. But it is a different thing to go into the Metropolitan Museum of Art and walk from room to room and then progressively become overwhelmed with the beauty that you're seeing and so that you feel like you need to leave and not go into any more rooms because it's just too much, right? Those are two different kinds of knowledge. And Jesus gives us his Holy Spirit in order that we might have that second kind of knowledge of him. Because Jesus is not just satisfied with his followers uh, behaviorally conforming to his teaching. It, he wants that, but he wants more than that, and he's got a bigger vision than that. He wants us to be able to know the inward delight of seeing his beauty, which is another way of saying of loving him. And that's the particular work of the Holy Spirit, and that's what the Holy Spirit was doing on, in the disciples, and you can see it in Peter. Remember, Peter... Uh, Peter, just a few weeks before that, he was petrified of this crowd. So much so that he denied his Lord. And now, on this day, on Pentecost, at the beginning of the story, the crowd gathers around the disciples and begins to mock them. You've had too much wine. These guys are drunk. And oddly, G Peter, you would expect based on previous behavior, that Peter would stand up and begin defending himself. But he doesn't. In fact, he hardly talks about himself at all. What does he do? He points away from himself. He spends all his time pointing to Jesus Christ. And he looks at the crowd that used to, just days before this, used to petrify him so much. And he looks at the crowd, looking at some of the same faces, and he says, let me tell you the most beautiful story I know. He says, look at Jesus Christ. He says, you killed him. God unkilled him. And now God has caused him to be the supreme authority in the world. But you know what, says Peter? He says, unlike any other supreme authority you've ever heard of, this supreme authority 
does not use his authority to oppress his enemies. He uses his authority to liberate and reconcile his enemies and call them into be his friends. And then Peter says, and I know this in so many words because it happened to me. Now, that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit illuminates Jesus so that we see his beauty. Um, J.I. Packer uh, is a theologian, and he says this. Think of the Holy Spirit as fulfilling a floodlight ministry in relation to the Lord Jesus. Think of him, as it were, standing behind you, shining light over your shoulder from behind, and picking out, like a floodlight does, the glory and the beauty of that which the light is trained upon. Not now the facade of some fine building, but rather the person of the glorified and enthroned Lord Jesus. It is as if the Holy Spirit whispers in our ear, do you see him? He is God incarnate, God made man, bearer of our sins. Now he is enthroned at the Father's right hand. He is for real. He's not a fantasy. He is a fact. And then the Spirit whispers, do you hear him? He is inviting you to come to him. He is calling you. He is calling you by name. Do you recognize any of that? Some of us will. Some of us will say, yeah, you know what? I know something of that. Maybe not in a moment. Maybe it never happened in a moment, but maybe it's a little bit like the sun coming up on a cloudy day. You never know exactly when it comes over the horizon, but all of a sudden you see everything around you. Maybe it happened slowly. Maybe it hasn't happened at all. Maybe you say, I don't have a clue of any of that kind of visceral, heart-engaged love for the beauty of Jesus Christ. And if that's where you're at, let me just say this. God has a really good gift that he wants to give you. The first thing the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit illuminates Jesus. The second thing the Holy Spirit does, however, is the Holy Spirit unites us to Jesus. Okay, go back to the story, but instead of thinking about Peter, focus on the crowd that Peter's talking to. At the beginning of the story, the crowd's just mocking the disciples, right? They've had too much wine. And therefore, at least least some of the the crowd, as I said, had helped arrange Jesus' death. Which means that some of the people in the crowd are cynics, some of the people in the crowd are skeptical, and some of the people in the crowd are religious extremists. This is a dangerous crowd. Now, what does the Holy Spirit do in them on this day? The answer is, The Holy Spirit does exactly what the Holy Spirit has been doing in Peter, only with a bit of a twist. So at the beginning of the story, they're making fun of the disciples. But then at the end of the story, they're cut to the heart, and they say, what do we do? And they repent, and they're baptized. My question is, just like what explains Peter, what explains this crowd's transformation? Because this was not the first time that they had heard of Jesus. This wasn't like news. They had helped they knew all about Jesus. He had been a public figure. They had helped kill him. They were familiar with him. But now something's different. Because as they hear Peter talk, what happens is the Holy Spirit was working in their hearts, and the Holy Spirit was making Jesus vividly real to them. 
And what happened at the beginning is that they saw the seriousness of their crimes. They're cut to the heart, and they realize, goodness, what are we going to do? But then the second thing that happens is the Holy Spirit moves them to repent and to entrust themselves to Jesus. J.I. Packer again. He says this, The Holy Spirit urges us and draws us and inclines us and moves us to embrace the Lord Jesus Christ, to say yes to his invitation, and to go to him and to make him by faith our own Savior, our own Lord, our own friend, and our own King. Let me try to illustrate this. Um, you ever seen the movie Interstellar? Some of us were talking about this on Monday. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of a fun science fiction film. Um, what happens, it's kind of, you know, how to save humanity with theoretical physics and... Um, and black holes. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. But anyways, it, it, it's kind of a, a materialistic, vaguely atheistic sort of film. However, in spite of that, if you watch the film, everything gets a little spooky and mystical when they start talking about love. Do you remember that? It, Brand, one of the characters, says this. She says, maybe love means something more, something that we can't yet understand. Maybe it is some evidence some artifact of a higher dimension that we can't consciously perceive. Love is the one thing that we are capable of perceiving that transcends dimensions of time and space. Maybe we should trust that, even if we can't understand it. Now, here's what I find interesting there. The, the characters in the story are not religious, right? They, they're not talking about God. And yet... They have this intuition. They have this intuition that love points to something bigger than what their scientific knowledge can explain. And it's almost as if they have this unsettling feeling that love sort of breaks the rules of the universe as they understand it. And more specifically, they have this, this intuition that this big transcendent love, what, however that is to be explained, has the capacity to bind people together that are separated by time and space. Now, if I'm honest, when, when this point in the story came up, I kind of rolled my eyes a little bit. I kind of went, oh, that's a bit cheesy. But then, as I was thinking about it, I realized it captures something very deep in us, and it captures also something of what the Holy Spirit does and what the Holy Spirit was doing in the crowd. Just think about it for a minute. This crowd had no grid for Jesus, right? Obviously, they had already considered him, they had rejected him, they had opposed him, they'd killed him. But as they're listening to Peter, the Holy Spirit begins to challenge their grid. And all of a sudden, they realize that their understanding of the universe is wrong. And fundamentally, the first thing they realize is that they were wrong. They feel the significance of their own crimes against Jesus personally. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop with mere guilt. By the end of the story, they're baptized into Jesus, which is to say they are adopted into Jesus' own family. They were his enemies. By the end, they are his friends. They're drawn into a love with Christ that transcends time and space and is outside their worldview. Now, why does Jesus think the Holy Spirit is so important? 
Friends, it's, it's as if Jesus comes to us and says, you know that intuition that you have, that love is a big and carries some sort of transcendent meaning, whatever that is? It's as if Jesus comes to us and says, you know what, you're right about that. And my Holy Spirit is that love. The Holy Spirit draws you to me, it's as if Jesus says, draws you to me in a way that transcends time and space. And it's that relationship that binds you to me in an intimacy that is deeper than anything you have known otherwise. And it is a relationship that then animates every other relationship in your life. And Jesus says, this is the gift that I came to give you. Now, I can imagine somebody saying, that sounds lovely, but... It's, I'm skeptical. I'm a skeptic, and I'm cynical. To which I respond, fair point. However, consider the fact that the crowd was cynical, and the crowd was skeptical, but that this was the first Christian church. The Holy Spirit was given first to skeptical, cynical people. Or I can imagine somebody saying, yes, but um, I have done many things that disqualify me, to which I want to respond, so did Peter, and so did that crowd. Does your disqualification trump theirs? The Holy Spirit was given first to Jesus' enemies, not good people. Or I could imagine somebody saying, listen, I have been in church all of my life, um, and I'm just not one of the Holy Spirit-type people. Like, those are those other people. Um, to which I want to say, um, well, Jesus asked all his disciples, to pray, and sometimes to wait. So if you have not tasted and seen the beauty of Jesus Christ in spite of years in church, nevertheless, don't let that overly discourage you. Jesus likes to be asked. He said, ask and you shall receive. Be thirsty for the Holy Spirit. And he promises that though sometimes there's a waiting, there is never a no. The Holy Spirit illuminates Jesus. The Holy Spirit unites us to Jesus. And then lastly, and we'll end, the Holy Spirit sends us out in mission. Um, you remember the weird bit about the speaking in tongues at the beginning, speaking in other languages? We could talk about speaking in tongues a lot, and we should. Let's talk about it later, okay? Um, ask me lots of questions about it. Ask one another questions about it, and let's pray about it. In this context, the main point of speaking in other languages is that it's a sign that this good news is for every nation and every uh, language and every type of person. Because the message went out and the miracle of that moment was that the people heard the message of the gospel in a way that they could understand best. Now, the Holy Spirit sends all of his followers, all the followers of Jesus, to go out and to describe the beauty of Jesus Christ in such a way that people who do not see the beauty of Jesus can see it clearly. And there's something very natural about this. See, the Holy Spirit first uh, illuminates Christ's beauty to us. If you're a Jesus follower, that's where it starts, begins to see the beauty of Jesus Christ. And then the Holy Spirit, secondly, unites us to Jesus in love with him. Now, here's the thing. You cannot love Jesus without loving the people that Jesus loves. That's just the way it works. Um, 
uh, I used to not like classical music. And then I met Amber. I, she's my wife. I can't, for those of you that don't know, I, you can't love Amber without loving something of what she loves. It just didn't make sense. And so I began, I found myself, it, it, it was also a helpful way to hang out, but I found myself love, beginning to enjoy classical music. Now, that's the way it happens. The, you, as the more you love Jesus Christ, the more you will love those whom he loves, which is the world. And the more you love Jesus, the more you will desire and even enjoy depicting him, describing him, pointing people to him in such a way that you can say, have you seen the beauty of Jesus Christ? Let me describe. Friends, that's one of the reasons why we chose our kind of vision, mission statement, whatever you want to call it. Um, Emmanuel Anglican Church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of New York City. Now, I could say that exact same thing by saying it this way. Emmanuel Anglican Church exists to be filled with, his Holy, with the Holy Spirit so that New York City can see Jesus too. It's exactly the same thing. So let me ask you some questions. Do you see the beauty of Jesus? Do you recognize the work of the Spirit in you? Ask the Holy Spirit to show you Christ's beauty more. There's no limit, so ask. Secondly, do you describe Jesus' beauty to those around you? Ask for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to move you to such a way that you enjoy depicting Christ's beauty verbally. Another question, do you reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ in your character and in your deeds? Ask for the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit longs to captivate us so much by Christ that we begin to reflect him like a mirror so that when other people look at our lives and our deeds and the things that we do and their, our character, they look at us, but they don't see us. They see and notice Jesus Christ. That's what he wants to do. Ask for the Holy Spirit. There's no limit. Jesus likes to give. Let's pray. Almighty Father, we ask for your Holy Spirit. We ask that your Holy Spirit will strengthen us, that we may see Jesus Christ. And I pray that you will go, even right now, into each one of our hearts, in the particular area of our hearts that might be resistant or, or just hardened, or just, I, I don't even know what this is talking about, kind of a thing. Will you go there and will you meet us? Will you meet some of us in the pain? Will you meet us in the joy? And will you display Jesus Christ? Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.